This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series entitled Breaking the Silence, How Speaking Up Enhances Corporate Culture. The series is sponsored by Case IQ. Over this series, I will visit with Charlene Lobby, Jacob Fickner, Kenneth McCarthy, and Merrick Block on different facets of a great speak up regime and how each of those facets will improve your corporate culture. We will tackle such topics as the indicia of a great corporate culture, the importance of triage and internal investigations in improving your corporate culture, non-retaliation and protections for those who speak up, tying your entire system of speak up to improving culture, and we'll conclude with some thoughts on how an entire system of speak up drives corporate culture to better run your organization and at the end of the day make your organization be more profitable. First, a word about our sponsor, Case IQ. Case IQ is the leading provider of modern workplace case management software to handle virtually any type of compliance breach. Case intake, workflow, data centralization, and reporting have never been simpler or more efficient. Whether you're dealing with potential employee fraud, harassment, or misconduct, trust Case IQ to provide clarity and confidence you need to protect your employees, your organization, and your brand. With millions of cases resolved and billions of dollars in litigation avoided, Case IQ can help you make a difference in your workplace. Visit www.caseiq.com to learn more. This episode, Jacob Fickner on the importance of triage and your investigative protocol. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode in our special five-part series. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to have back with me, Jacob Fickner. Jacob, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me back, Tom. Definitely looking forward to our conversation today. Jacob, could you remind our uh, audience of your uh, professional background and current role? For sure. Uh, So I'm currently the Director of Partnership Development at Case IQ. Uh, I've been working within the internal investigative space for over 15 years now. Jacob, one of the reasons I really enjoy visiting with you for what's turned out to be multiple podcasts is you really advocate a rigor around the process of not simply reporting or speak up a triage and investigation. So I'd really like to to go through that with you and maybe start with triage, say a report's come in, say someone's risen, risen their hand, raised their hand and spoken up, or they go into their manager's office and say, hey, I want to tell you something. It gets to compliance. How should compliance think through the triage process and why is the triage process so so critical in fostering a speak-up culture? Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess from a starting point, my recommendation would be to think about the assessment and triage process prior to receiving a complaint or allegation as if you're only thinking about your how you're going to assess a case once you've received an allegation or complaint, then you're behind uh, in terms of response uh, time and SLAs and, and really behind the eight ball. Uh, So that's where to really focus on how an organization can 
increase or encourage a speak up culture. It's about thinking about response assessment and triage prior to that allegation coming in. So once it comes in, you can assess the nature of the complaint or allegation, the severity, and have a plan in terms of what stakeholders to involve, um, who to notify, and, and next steps from there. I used an acronym in that answer that I have not heard used in the compliance space, and it was SLA. Could you define that for us? Yeah, it comes to to a service level agreement. Uh, so it's agreed upon uh, response times uh, based on the nature of the allegation. So when we work with organizations in terms of standardizing a process to uh, complaints and allegations, it really focuses on, well, what should the response be and what should the response times be in terms of those activities? So it's taking lessons and learn from customer service and applying them to uh, internal investigations. Uh, for my sins, I, in a past life, was a software lawyer. So uh, I know what SLAs are or were. And uh, the, the way you have phrased that strikes me, first of all, I've not heard anyone in the compliance space talk about counseling a compliance professional around the concept of an SLA, then having the rigor to put it down in writing so that everyone knows what it is. But in my software life, that would be a standard part of a software sale. You'd have to either negotiate or simply give the, the SLAs and uh, hopefully the customer would accept them. But having that written documentation gave customers comfort that if a situation did arise, it could be turned in, there would be a time frame for response, it could be escalated if necessary, and there would be different levels up. I nearly never thought about SLA in the context of, of uh, the rigor a compliance program needs, but it seems to me to make perfectly logical sense to think of it that way. And let me even emphasize your use of the word customer, because the customer of a compliance officer are the employees. So I think I heard you say, you're promising your employees, this is how we will respond. And this is the time frame. Would that be a fair assessment? That's exactly it. It's about setting expectations. And to be able to set realistic expectations, you have to monitor and document it and set internal expectations so that when you do receive a complaint, an allegation, a person, a complainant, I should say, that submitted it, isn't really waiting to figure out, well, when am I going to be notified? What are the next steps? What are the expectations around when I should receive uh, the next communication from the compliance department? By having this already thought out and documented, you can set those expectations with your employees. And really, that's where setting expectations really is the, the base of um, opening dialogue and fostering a culture of open communication. You know, you've really hit on something that I don't think we talk about enough in the compliance community, which is we talk about fostering a culture of speak up uh, that you've just mentioned. We talk about encouraging people. We talk about anti-retaliation uh, and to prevent that, to give people comfort they won't be punished if they come forward. But we don't talk about sort of in the middle, the processes and the procedures but it strikes me in listening to you, those can foster a culture of speak up as well, because it's a you're setting an expectation or 
almost an internal promise that absent extraordinary circumstances, this is the services we'll provide back to you, Mr. Reporter or Ms. Reporter. That's exactly it. As we know, it does take in certain circumstances a lot of courage to submit an allegation. And if you don't really know where it's going to go, what's going to happen, what are the next steps, it just creates more uncertainty uh, and anxiety. And really by having this all clearly communicated as part of your triage and assessment, that you make the complainant aware of your steps and expectations around those steps, uh, then you are, at the end of the day, encouraging open communication and fostering that trust that you'll take the allegation seriously, you've already thought about a process, you have it documented, uh, and you're going to meet those expectations. Jacob, how important is having a documented process for a multinational company that may have compliance officers in the United States, Canada, Latin America, Asia, Africa, or, or any other place? I think as an organization size increases, uh, the complexity of the compliance program increases and having this all thought out prior to receiving that serious allegation becomes even more important as even the initial assessment uh, and triage might be more complicated. Uh, the situation might be, uh, you know, do we have the, the language requirements? Do we have the resources available to be able to support this type of investigation within that specific region? Uh, and if you're if you receive, a, let's say, a complex accounting matter uh, in, uh, let's say, an Asia Pacific country and you're just figuring this all out, that's where your time to close for that investigation is at risk in terms of um, extending beyond what I would consider a reasonable threshold. Um, in the Dodd-Frank uh, whistleblower uh, provisions, which is the U.S. law, which allows whistleblowers to go to the Securities and Exchange Commission, I think there's a 120-day requirement um, around uh, an internal whistleblower and a company completing their investigation. So could we maybe turn from your thoughts on triage to your thoughts on an investigation protocol and uh, how, how you see that, the importance of it, and how it should be utilized by a compliance uh, department? So once we've completed the initial assessment and we've determined, let's say, the resources required to properly assess uh, this investigation, assign the investigative team, then it's about what are the processes that we take from there uh, in terms of steps? Uh, do we conduct interviews? What are the expectations around turnarounds of those interviews? How are we going to document those interviews consistently? How are we going to communicate the outcomes of each of these steps to the appropriate stakeholders? And when we're looking at all these steps, it's really about creating that process so that uh, as it transitions from assessment to investigation, uh, you know, these are our stakeholders. These are our expectation around our tasks and the response time and SLAs, if I was to use it again, for those specific tasks. And that's where when we work with clients and as they really raise the maturity of their internal compliance and investigative processes, um, they're able to properly document these steps and most importantly, use that data to assess the effectiveness of their processes. As really this isn't 
something that you establish uh, once and then walk away and, and hope it works forever. It's a continuous improvement model. And so again, if we go to establishing the steps required to properly investigate, it's really then documentation, 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 so that you can use that data to uh, effectively assess your investigative steps, processes, and outcomes. So that by having a process, having a process written down, uh, you can judge or measure against that process and then move uh, to uh, either monitor and or uh, improve that process based upon the findings. Is that a fair assessment of what you just said? That would be correct. So the um, when you sit down, I mean, do you still in 2023, do you sit down with clients who don't have a written process or a written protocol set out and you have to really help them understand the need to do that now. We started this podcast with you saying, do it now then, rather than wait till the, the uh, allegation comes in. Are you still having to have those conversations or have we, we as a function matured enough that uh, you see at least the basics of a protocol in place? So, so in current times, we see a basic program more often than not. Uh, and that ratio has increased year over year, which is good to see. What we're still failing to see, and even in larger multinational organizations, is an effective means of documenting and tracking that process. Uh, so oftentimes, we start off by asking, do you have written policies and procedures that govern your investigative responses? And a client will say yes. And then we'll follow up, do you have controls to monitor and document uh, to make sure that you're following those policies and procedures? And that's still surprisingly uh, a low number uh, relative to uh, where it should be. The, um, policies and procedures and the documentation, do those does that process lend itself to a technological solution or a tool where you can capture that information in a documented format that if a regulator comes knocking, you can show it to them, or you have multiple people literally across the world as a part of the investigation team? That's ultimately what we've been preaching here at Case IQ for over 20 years. Uh, going back to something that I harp on consistently is you need to build accountability and defensibility into your process. And that's where technology really shines is you can establish and codify your policies and procedures into a case management solution. And more importantly, you can monitor your performance against those policies and procedures so that in the future, as you say, if an auditor comes knocking, it's not, oh, my God, how am I going to react to this? Who do I need to pull in? Where is this documentation? Is that, is that investigator still with the department or the organization? It's seemingly just going to the case record, your system of record where everything is documented and being able to retrieve that information and more importantly, prove to the auditor that everything is valid and true. Jacob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up closing the loop, improving your compliance program through a culture of speak up. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you, if our listeners wanted any more information on the topic we've discussed in this podcast, what would be the best place for them to go? I definitely encourage visiting our website at www.caseiq.com. 
uh, and encourage visiting specifically our resource center where you can access a wealth of information, including free webinars, eBooks, uh, and newsletters related to ethics and compliance and internal investigations. And I'm going to shout out to the processes, procedures, and protocol forms you have there uh, because I have used those. And if you don't have those or you don't have access to something like that, the Case IQ Resource Center is a fabulous resource. So uh, check it out if you need any of that. And uh, Jacob, once again, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Pleasure, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this special five-part podcast series, Breaking the Silence, How Speaking Up Enhances Corporate Cultures, sponsored by Case IQ. Case IQ is the leading provider of modern workplace case management software to handle virtually any type of compliance breach. With millions of cases resolved and billions of dollars in litigation avoided, trust Case IQ to help you protect your employees, your organization, and your brand. Visit www.caseiq.com to learn more. This special podcast series has been a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to sponsor your own podcast series, please reach out to me. I'm Tom Fox. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again.